Hey, let me pray over looking to God's word today. So God, we, uh, we believe in your Holy Spirit. Uh, we, we trust the Bible. We trust that it's from you, God, uh, that you used a variety of people that you breathed the life into them to write it down, but we trust it. We trust the Bible because we trust that it's from you and your Holy Spirit can breathe life into it even today, uh, September 10th. You can breathe life into your word. You do breathe life into the Bible. So we, those of us who are followers of Jesus and have the Holy Spirit in us, we can see and hear things we haven't maybe seen or heard in a certain way and you get our attention in ways that you want to get our attention so you can lead us to become those kind of people who are full of the life and power that only come from you. And we love you, Jesus, and we ask this in your name. Amen. So uh, some of you may know the song, I Dreamed a Dream, from Les Mis. Les Mis was, Les Miserables was a musical uh, after a book by Victor Hugo. It was kind of a, takes place in early France, of 18, early 1800s in France. And uh, do, some of you know this song, I Dreamed a Dream. We're not going to sing it, but, but so the song is... Uh, Fantine is a character in the story, and uh, she has like this love affair over the summer with this young man in Paris. She gets pregnant, has a baby, but then he abandons her. She's stuck with a baby. She doesn't. She gets fired from her job. Her life is uh, not in a good place. She turns to prostitution because that's the only way she knows to make money and to make her life. Um, but there's a song that she sings called I Dreamed a Dream. Let me just read some of the lyrics because it's kind of about the sense of it, the life you're living hasn't turned out the way you thought it was going to. All right? Opening lines are, there was a time when men were kind. Maybe I'll sing it. It's, there was a time when men were kind, when their voices were soft and their words inviting. There was a time when love was blind and the world was a song and the song was exciting. There was a time, everybody know the next line? Then it all went wrong. Like, she's singing about, I, had, I dreamed a dream and time's gone by, and I thought this was going to be my life, and everything in the world was good, and, but, and then, boom, it all went wrong. And then later on in the song, she sings, I had a dream my life would be so different from this hell I'm living. So different now from what it seemed now life has killed the dream I dreamed. And I'm saying that. I'm not saying we're, you know, you may not have the situation Fantine had. But if, if you're human, there are things that you've thought your life would be like, hopes, dreams, that haven't come to fruition for whatever reason. And that, that's human reality, but then it's easy for that to get driven down into you so it becomes a, a, almost a place of despair inside of you. And I'm not saying that we're all in despair, but what I'm saying is what she sings about is a human reality we all can relate to at some level. I thought my life would be this, but it's this. But sometimes it's not only that, it's that, and it's a lot worse than what I thought it would be, and it's painful. And so, the, so what do we do when we feel, and the words for today are going to be helpless and hopeless, what do you do when your life feels like it's helpless and hopeless? And, and the thing is, we're really good at being helpless and hopeless, but on the outside, we look positive, optimistic. We can, we can put on a good face, but we also know 
that's never going to change. Or, I don't know what to do. I can't do anything. So whether it's a relational thing, maybe an internal thing about your own emotional life, whether it's a money thing, a future thing, a job thing, a health thing, it's easy to fall into helpless and hopeless. And that becomes kind of a spiritual despair. And you kind of wonder, what do I do with that with God? Because is God holding out of me? Has he abandoned me? Um, so I'm doing a series called, Do You Want to Be Healed? Uh, the word healed that Jesus uses, it's used in the New Testament, really also is the same word when Jesus would say to somebody, do you want to be whole? And also when Jesus, when people talk about salvation, it's all kind of the same concept. It means to be made whole again. Um, I was around somebody recently, and they were saying, we gotta, we got to pray that those people get saved. Well, and I know what they meant, because I grew up in that kind of almost a Baptist culture. I'm not knocking Baptists. But the sense was they have to believe that Jesus died for their sins so they can go to heaven after they die, after they die. And why that's a reality of those who have the spirit of Christ in them, Jesus did not come with the message of, I came to forgive your sins. He came to show us how to get to heaven. The, the hearers, the Jewish hearers in his time did not say, oh, he came to show us how to get to heaven after we die. He kept saying, I came to make you whole. I came to bring healing to you. And he wasn't just talking about their bodies, he was talking about their hearts. So go to the next slide. This, this, this is the mission of Jesus according to Jesus. And we'll, I'm going to show this every week we talk about this because when, this was Jesus' first public sermon, if you want to call it that. Um, he was you know, in his low 30s, and the, the habit of Jewish men would be go to synagogue two, three times a week. This time I think it was on the Sabbath. And they, they would take turns reading Old Testament passages— so it was part of, part of what they did, but we don't know if it was Jesus' turn that day or he just took the turn, but he started reading from this passage from the book of Isaiah, which would have been written 600 years before, because of course they didn't have the New Testament then. And this, he says, is his mission. Read this out loud with me, all right? Here we go. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has announced me... Sorry, let me back up. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, For he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, the blind will see, the oppressed will be set free, and the time of the Lord's favor has come. The Lord's favor meaning God's in a good mood toward people. Not that God was ever in a bad mood, but the Lord is to be favorable to people. So you'll notice on here, like I think I said this last week, I know I said it maybe in the last couple weeks, I used to read this passage and think, oh, I'm so glad Jesus came for those kind of people who really have messed up lives. You know, the oppressed, the poor, um, captives, blind. And it was almost as if, I'm glad he came to help those people. But when we read that passage, if, we're, if we really read it honestly, he's talking about all of us. He came to bring wholeness to our lives. Healing, sight, freedom from captivity, freedom from oppression. So that's what he came to do. Yes, we go to heaven after we die if we have the spirit of Jesus in us. Yes, he forgives our sins. But his, his, his mission was way bigger than that. It was for the wholeness of his people, you and me. Wholehearted people, it's what he wants. So, uh, and here's, here's the assumption they'll have for the next couple of weeks. 
First one is we all have wounds, and by wounds I mean we all have errors in our lives where there's, we are blind, captive, or oppressed. Uh, maybe things that have happened to us in our lives, things people have done to us, things people didn't do to us they should have done, and it leaves us to all kinds of issues and wounds. And again, we're not victims, but we're human, and all humans, apart from Jesus, had wounds. All right? Second assumption is wounds are deeper than convictions. By that I mean... I may believe, and you might believe something is true, like I should always be kind to my wife, but your woundedness might lead you to not treat her that way. Or you might also believe, you know, I, I know what I should, I believe this to be true about money, about sex, or whatever, but your wounds, sometimes we end up behaving out of our wounds, and we do things that we know in our heads, our convictions. We know we do things opposite of what our convictions are. And it's like, why is that? Why do you hear about Christian leaders who were, you know, they had their theology down to a T, and then you find out, oh, they were stealing money on the side, or they were, they, they were sleeping with their secretary, or whatever. So it's like, so your wounds dictate your behavior sometimes more than your convictions. And it's, this is all kind of, in a sense, what Scripture would say to us, then, the, then the, the third assumption, which is an assumption that is validated in Scripture over and over, Jesus came to heal our wounds, restore our heart, and set us free. That's what he came for. He came to make you a wholehearted person so you could be the kind of person you always wanted to be. I read this last week, and somebody asked me to, uh, wanted to they, they wanted me to send it to him last week, so I'm going to read it again. I thought it was really good. Somewhere deep, this is a quote from a book I've read, somewhere deep inside each one of us is a burning desire to finally become the person God created you to be. Right? Somewhere deep inside each one of us is a burning desire to become the person God created us to be. And then the question I've asked before is, what would your life be like if you didn't struggle anymore with blank? Like, okay, this is what keeps me from having peace, joy, generosity what is that issue or those issues in your life feature of your personality but it's not at all the spirit of jesus driving it so so what we're going to look at today we're going to look at a, a series of today we're just every week we're looking at one series where jesus encounters somebody because the whole point of this series is to help us understand that jesus wants to encounter you and you can encounter him in a way that brings healing to your heart, healing to your soul. All right, so last week we looked at Jesus and the Samaritan woman at the well and just all the shame that was probably around her life. She was on her fifth, she'd been married four times on her, at least on her fifth guy. Who knows how many times, who, who knows how much rejection she felt, shame she felt, those kind of things. So we talked about that, that Jesus comes even to heal that part of our souls. Shame, rejection isolation. So every week is a different encounter. This week the encounter is going to be the encounter that Jesus had uh, with a man at the pool of Bethesda. Bethesda. This is John chapter 5. Let me just read it. So that's in, uh, I'll just read it and I got to put my reading glasses on because I'm talking about the glasses. So John chapter 5 verse 1. And again, this is Jesus encountering a lame man. Afterward, Jesus returned to Jerusalem for a for one of the Jewish holy days. Inside the city near the Sheep Gate was the pool of Bethesda with five covered porches. Crowds of sick people 
blind, lame, or paralyzed, lay on the porches. One of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years. 38 years. When Jesus saw him and knew he'd been ill for a long time, he asked him, would you like to get well? Would you like to be healed? Some versions will translate it. Do you want to be whole? That's what he's saying. Do you want to get well? I can't, sir, the sick man said, for I have no one to put me in the pool when the water bubbles up. Someone else always gets there ahead of me. Now let me stop here for a second here because uh, one of the things, one of the things that's true when you read scripture, I, I knew somebody once that t- said, whenever you read scripture publicly, you should just read it in a monotone, non-emotional way. And I remember thinking to myself, what? why? I mean, as if the Bible is just text you should read, because there's emotion in these stories. And we don't always know exactly what the emotion is. But when, this, when Jesus says, do you want to get well? And the man says, I can't, sir, for I have no one to put me into the pool. When the water bubbles up, someone always gets ahead of me. I'm guessing he probably said, I can't, sir. Someone always gets in front of me when the pool bubbles up. And nobody's here to help me. All right? If you're honest and I'm honest, that's sometimes what we want to say. to God. Nobody's here to help me. So he probably didn't say, I can't, sir, with the King James English. I can't, sir. No one is here to help me. Like some of the old, you know, Jesus movies years ago, they were like, everybody was speaking in this proper King James English. There was probably emotion to his response. I can't. 38 years I've been here. I can't. You want me? You tell me if I want to get, well, I can't. No one's here to help me. Everyone gets to the pool. They thought the pool would heal them. Everybody gets there before I do. So, feel the emotion there that you've probably felt. I can't. I can't do that. I can't. Nobody's going to help me. And then Jesus says, I mean, Jesus didn't respond to this guy's emotional, understandable rant. Jesus says, stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. See, the guy was probably, who knows what he was feeling, like, what? What are you talking about? Instantly, the man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping mat, began walking. But the miracle happened on the Sabbath, so the Jewish leaders objected. So just think how trite that is for the Pharisees. On the Sabbath, they said, in the, they said to the man who was cured, you can't work on the Sabbath. The law doesn't allow you to carry your sleeping mat. I mean, the guy was just healed, and they're worried about little, little dots. But he replied, the man who healed me told me, pick up your mat and walk. Who said such a thing, they demanded. The man didn't know, for Jesus had disappeared into the crowd. I'm just going to focus on the conversation Jesus has with this man. Jesus had a line, and the man had a line, all right? First thing is this. Jesus asked the man, would you like to get well? And I've said this before. This would rank in, in the top of my list of apparently... Apparently stupid or hurtful questions Jesus asks people. It's like when he asked blind Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do for you? Well, and I don't like when my kids say this, they don't say it anymore. Duh, Jesus, what do you think that he wants? Or would you like to get well? Duh. What do you think? What do you think he's going to say to that? But see, but see, Jesus, like he does with us, he knows 
there's more going on than just the physical issue of this man. And in that sense, Jesus, you know, he has more insight than anybody who has a PhD in psychology. He knew what he was getting at because this man had given himself over to hopelessness and helplessness, self-pity change. And his identity had been one of self-pity. Life will never get better than this. And maybe you can relate to that. That's what his identity was, self-pity. This is, the good, this is as good as it gets. So when Jesus says, do you want to be healed? He obviously wasn't just talking about the man's body. He was talking about the man's whole identity, the, the woundedness in his heart from years of losing hope, from years of feeling helpless. So Jesus has this incredible insight. And you know, no matter how bound you are or I am to certain lies in your own heart, Jesus knows the exact key to get to. So whether, whether you think, I'm on my own, there's no one here to help me, I'm doing the best I can, whatever your response is when you feel like you're not being the woman or the man that you know you want to be, Jesus knows exactly what key to turn to open up that part of you. So if he were to come to you and say, do you want to get well? He's obviously not talking simply about, do you want your bank account to have more money? Do you want this happening? He's really going to the heart of your heart and asking you, there's things you believe about reality and life in me that aren't true. Can I heal those in you? Which is really, he's offering to heal. But in this man, his woundedness wasn't because he was paralyzed. That's a big deal. Of course it is. But he had given himself over to this, what I call resignation of hopelessness and helplessness. I can't, I can't change. Nothing's going to change. So Jesus knows something about the deeper healing needed in this man that we can see, but then we don't always see it in ourselves. But Jesus knows what's in us. He knows the thing that trips up your hopelessness wire and your helpless wire. So Jesus asks this really insightful question, and I'm asked saying this because uh, Jesus wants to ask you that question. Do you want to get well? And you're like, well, I'm good, I'm well, but do you want to get well? Do you want those things that stir in your heart, that you struggle with, that you think life's never going to change, whether it's in your marriage, and your money, and your future, and your job, and you're like, it's as good as it gets. And I'm not saying Jesus came to give you like the ideal of everything, but he came to heal the things in you that keep you from uh, hoping and put you into despair. All right? So that's what Jesus says. So you like to get well. And I summarize the man's response this way. I have no one to help me. I mean, some versions will say that. That's the first thing that we translate. I have no one to help me. I'm, I mean... This pool, when it stirs, whirlpool, stirs up or whatever, there was always this race to get in the pool first, thinking it would heal him. We don't even know that it did. Most likely didn't. It was more of just the hope of. But he's like, there's no one to help me. I'm on my own. I'm doing the best I can. I'm on my own. No one to help me. I have to make my life work. I have to figure this out. 
because no one else will help me. And that then spins into, I don't even think God cares. We don't say that. No, none of us would ever say that because it just seems like blasphemy. You know, it's not, but it's like, I've struggled with this issue in my life for years. This has been an issue in our marriage for years. This has been an issue with how I deal about money for years. This has been an issue. This has been an issue. This has been an issue. This has been an issue about how I deal with my family, my parents, my, all these things. And I, I don't want to go there because I don't want to be sent into that slide of being depressed, discouraged, um, or whatever mental health term you might use because those are all real. Those are human realities, but they're all driven out of hopelessness and helplessness. All right. Let's talk about helplessness first. Helplessness is in the sense of I'm unable to act or react to any kind of negative situation. You feel trapped. Whatever issue is, you feel powerless. You feel overwhelmed. You feel too weak to deal with the issue that you have to deal with. And what goes in your head are statements like this. I feel overwhelmed. I don't know what to do. I feel trapped. I feel helpless. Everything feels chaotic and out of control. I can't stop this from happening. I'm too weak or too small to resist. And the other person, the other situation is too strong for me, and there's no one to help. So, oh well. Sounded like, what can I do? And you get stuck there. And some of those statements might be real. Yeah, you might feel overwhelmed. Those things are real emotions, but it's like, you get stuck there, and then you let it kind of drive down deep where your whole reality is, Oh, well, it's as good as it gets. That's helpless. And there's hopeless. Hopeless is when you feel a separation of, from anything that could be good or loving in your life. That's, the chasm's too far. I mean, it's like jumping over the Grand Canyon. I mean, I know there's goodness and love over there, but I'm here. I'm way too separated from that. So you don't even, you've given up trying or hoping and you might feel things like you feel dead, disappointed, you feel lost, despairing. And you have similar statements from being helpless, but your, your internal statements are, it's not going to change. My life's ruined. Can't recover from this. No matter, this is, this is one I think rings a bell in my own heart. No matter what I do, this will never get better. I can't stop the pain. Things will never change. I have nothing to look forward to. I feel dead inside. Nothing brings me joy. There's nothing to live for anymore. So, the, and you might say, wait a minute, this, this man was just had a lame issue. Yes, he was lame, but those, those things then were driven into his heart. Because often it's the out, external physical or financial realities, relational realities, health realities. It's those issues then that Satan knows how to drive deeper into our hearts so the issue then becomes more of oh well it's as good as it gets I'm going I'm to try to be hopeful I'm going to try to believe that something but I, I've stopped even trying because like what else can I do I'm, I'm assuming those thoughts have played on the minds of your own internal mp3 players whether it's an iphone or whatever you know but there's those things you start that we know that man was feeling and jesus encountered him 
not just to heal his body, but there's something that healed in his soul. So when Jesus encounters you and you feel stuck, maybe for 38 years, hopeless, helpless, that's not going to change. My marriage isn't going to change. My relationship with my kids aren't going to change. My relationship with my parents will never change. It is what it is. And sometimes things may not change, but God can change your heart from feeling dead and hopeless and helpless about it. There's a difference because God may not change the circumstance. If, you're, if your issue is you have this anxiety about money and it's going to be hopeless and how we never... God may not dump money in your bank account, but he may change something in your heart so you trust him with what you have, trust him with what you don't have, and you don't just kind of give in to the almost a fatalistic view of the universe and of God, like, oh, well, I'm just going to feel self-pity and uh, kind of, oh, well, life's never going to get better. But Jesus says to the man, do you, do you want to get well? So that's the question of the day. Next slide. Do you want to be healed? I mean, if, if go back to that opening statement of what would your life be like if you didn't struggle anymore with this? What would your life be like if God healed what's in your heart is like a hopelessness about this issue or helplessness about that issue? Because... What tends to happen is this. We tend to, on the one side, we know, we know we're supposed to be, because the Bible tells us so, hopeful, confident, happy, joyful, peaceful, restful, alive, free, secure, empowered, and pure. We know that's what the life Jesus came to give us. We know that. But the reality is, we would probably check these boxes more often than we'd care to admit, Hopeless, helpless, exhausted, confused, guilty, frustrated, ashamed, depressed, overwhelmed, lonely, and anxious. Jesus came for you to be this way, deep in your heart. It's not about, it's not about whether you're married or not, or you have money or not, or the job you like or not. He came that you could be peaceful, joyful, restful, alive, free, secure, empowered, pure. That's what he came for. So safe assumption. None of us are there. Most of us are somewhere in between. We might say, well, I, get a, I can take a few of those, but I have a lot of these too. So we're kind of in this ongoing journey wrestling match. And again, it's not about Jesus changing your external circumstances. It's how does Jesus change your heart about the external circumstances so you don't give in to condemnation hopelessness, helplessness, resignation, and your faith becomes a fatalistic worship of the fatalistic God. Oh, well. But you learn to trust. Because you can have zero money in your bank account. You can have zero realities that are going to look different in your future, but you can trust God. I mean, even, even when Jesus is on the cross, you think about it, when he said, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? There's not wrong to be frustrated with feeling like God's not there. And the Psalms, uh, you know, even the one we sang, I, I called on the Lord and he heard my cry or heard my plea or whatever. Okay, he, we want him to hear our plea, but it's okay at times to say, God, I feel like you've abandoned me, but we know he hasn't. 
But it's human to feel that way, and I'm sure this man felt like, not only has God abandoned me, but most people in my life have abandoned me because I'm just a burden to them. So the question again is, do you want to be healed? And if Jesus were to say that to you, what issue comes to mind? So I want you to close your eyes for a second, and I want you to picture uh, whatever picture you would have of Jesus. But um, I want to picture him. I want you to picture him looking in your eyes and simply saying, "Do you want to be healed? Do you want to be made whole?" And what's the issue that you know he's talking about? Could be like a. I'm not knocking on mental health issues because they're real, but sometimes we let those become our identities. I have this issue, that issue. So what's the issue? Maybe it is helplessness about something in your life. Hopelessness, this is never going to change. What is the issue? That again, Jesus doesn't promise he will change the external circumstances. He does promise he'll change your heart. He will not abandon you. And he promises in whatever circumstance you find yourself, there's joy, there's peace, there's rest, there's security, there's hope. So Jesus, what comes to mind even as I'm thinking about this same question is um, sometimes we don't want you tinkering around our hearts. Sometimes we, we would love for you to just leave good enough alone, even though good enough in our own lives is not good enough. It's really not in a good place. Sometimes we're intimidated by your question. We might even be afraid of the question because it might require us to kind of see something we don't want to see so you can bring it to wholeness. But Jesus, you're, you're always gentle. Your gaze is kind. You love us. You said you came to free the oppressed, free the captives, give sight to the blind. You, you came to do that for us. So God, I pray that even in the next days and weeks, you would stir things up in our hearts that are things we need to bring to you for healing. Maybe past memories, maybe just lies we believe about ourselves. We don't even know where it came from. We just know that's how I think about myself. That's how I think about life. Not going to get better than this. Jesus, whatever those things are, would you kind of boil them up to the surface and give us the courage to open up our hands and show it to you so you can heal it, so you can bring wholeness to it, so you can bring us to the point where we can release it to you, not in, not in denial, but release it to you and trust that you bring healing to our hearts. And yet I'm, I'm, I'm sensing that there's people here today, and maybe it's just one, maybe it's more, that have a very clear issue that comes to mind for them that has been an identity-defining thing that they don't like about themselves. None of these things we like about ourselves. They don't like about themselves, and they want to see it changed. And just like the 
the man in the story, there's no one to help me. We've tried all the human solutions. We're asking now you, Jesus, to help us. You can help us. You can bring it to the surface. You can heal it. You can bring wholeness to it. You can restore in us a greater capacity for joy and peace and forgiveness and mercy and generosity and rest and security. So we love you, Jesus. Um, And even as we turn to the table where we have your mysterious but symbolic representation of your body and your blood offered to us because that's you offering yourselves to us. We're grateful, Jesus, that you came, you allowed yourself to be crucified, you rose from the dead, and now you have, as the Bible says, you're seated at the right hand of God the Father and you intercede for us. So you're always thinking about us. So when we take this communion today, we take this into our body, would it be a reminder to us that you think about us? We think about those things in our hearts that need healing and wholeness. We love you, and we ask this all in your name, Jesus. Amen.